0: Hi guys, Liz Wheeler here. So you guys know that I'm on this anti-ESG kick right now. I truly think that ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Metrics, this is essentially the social credit score system that parallels the social credit score system the Chinese communists inflict on their people. This is the American version of it. It's actually a globalist version, but it impacts us here in America through our banking system it's incredibly powerful. It might be one of the biggest internal threats that we face in our nation. I feel, I feel so strongly about this. We've talked about it endlessly on the show, but I sat down and talked to Andy Pudzer about what he's doing to fight ESG. Because you and I, we can sit here and we can educate ourselves on it, and we can encourage our elected representatives to vote against it. Or in the case of West Virginia, for example, they actually, the state stopped doing business with financial firms that that invest according to ESG. But Andy Putzer is following a little bit of a different playbook. He has actually created an alternative way to invest. If you as an individual investor, you and I sitting right here, if we don't want our money to be invested by or in invested in or by firms that are governed by ESG. He has created a way for you to bypass this, and it's really cool. It was a really fascinating conversation. This guy, he was one of the first people who was ringing the alarm bell about ESG, and he tells me the story about, about that, about how that came to be, and about how he got to where he is now. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Hi guys, welcome. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. I'm sitting here, at NatCon 3 in Miami, Florida. It's a great event. We're having a good time already. This is the first day, but I'm here today with a very special guest, Andy Puzder, who is the former CEO of CKE Restaurants. Thank you for sitting down with me.
1: Uh, It's my pleasure. Glad to be here.
0: We just got off a panel together. We did. Just a couple minutes ago, walked upstairs to this studio. We talked about ESG. And one of the things that you said in your speech during our panel, you said two, three years ago, if you would talk about ESG, you couldn't even fill a men's room. And now this is the hot button topic across the United States. Take me back to the beginning of when you first realized what a threat ESG is. Where did you hear about this? When did you realize that this is what could subvert us from within?
1: Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Well, it, it really started in the summer of 2020 when a guy named Orrin Cass, who I knew from the Romney campaign, I uh, started a company called, uh, a, 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 uh, a think tank called American Compass. And he he, and he 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 kind of drifted a little more to the left than me. You know, he's sort of left to center, and I'm sort of center or right of center. And, uh, and and he said, uh, "Would you debate uh, that there was a professor who was well known in the woke capitalism side of things? Would you debate this professor?" And I I said, "Yeah, really. I mean, I'll debate him, but I this isn't like this is like made up, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, woke PSG capitalism is being made yeah, up? No, woke capitalism. Oh, it's yeah. just kind of made up." He said. Uh, you know, because the, the business roundtable come out with this. This, uh, they're not. They're no longer going to be uh, focused on investor returns. They're not going to invest. In, in, they're not going to focus on stakeholders, their customers, or their employees, their suppliers, and their communities. And I said, but but that's like that's ridiculous. Those are the things you have to focus on to make a profit. What idiot CEO doesn't focus on his customers? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and if you. <laughs> If you don't focus on your employees, they go away. They're your most valuable commodity. And if you don't focus on your suppliers, they supply everybody else. They don't supply you in a pandemic. That could be a problem. And you have to be well-liked in your community. So I said, none of what they're saying is that they won't focus on investor returns. They'll just focus on everything that creates investor returns. And I said, this this isn't for real. They said, no, it's for real. You need to, would you debate this guy? And I said, okay, so I debated him and after we went back and forth, you know, it's pandemic, so we're doing this online. And we went back and forth. And after our after this was over, I said, you know, th- they really are serious about this. This isn't pretend. Like, where is this coming from? And so I dug into it. And it, it I finally learned after looking at this for a long time that, uh, in my opinion, this this stakeholder capitalism, woke capitalism thing was just a reaction to these huge financial firms like BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. Pressuring businesses to adopt leftist policies and to avoid criticism from these financial institutions, they came up with this really ridiculous, you know, stakeholder capitalism, woke well, capitalism that makes no sense. Yeah, uh, and so, uh, so that really got me thinking about ESG. I dove into it and then realized that you know these people were controlling twenty trillion dollars. Just the top three—that's BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard—controlled twenty trillion dollars in investments of other people's money right? And voted the shares that they purchased with other people's money. And this is, what, this is what was allowing them to put pressure on American companies. Because if you add these three companies together, and it's fair to add them together because they each invest in each other, if you add them together, they are the largest shareholder in 80% of the companies in the S&P 500. If you just look at BlackRock, which is the biggest $10 trillion in assets, they are the first, second, or third largest shareholder in 80% of the companies in the S&P 500. So they wield tremendous influence over the management of the companies in which they invest. But nobody wanted to hear about that. I had to figure out entertaining ways to describe it to uh, to get people to listen. So uh, it, w- it was a problem. Now, Justin Danhoff, who was on the panel with Justin, was out you know screaming at the top of his lungs about this. But for a while, I think we were kind of like the only two or, you know, there weren't a whole lot of other people. Andy, Andy Alvastro at Heritage Foundation was, was keyed in on it, maybe Bridget Wagner. But there weren't a lot of people talking about this. And there were very few people listening about it. I actually tried to speak at a couple of events and the, <laughs> the people putting on this, really, can't you just talk about your capitalism, socialism? <laughs> do, do you really have to talk about the CSG investing. I said, really, it's all part of the same thing. Well, they said, we'll weave it in. So I'd weave it in. And when I got to that point, everybody's eyes would glaze over. <laughs> it was, like, was like, you weren't talking to anybody. There was an event in Alabama, in Atlanta, excuse me, not Alabama, but Atlanta that Alec put on the American Legislative Exchange Council. And a lot of state legislators were there. And I, I, they wanted they did a panel on ESG and, uh, and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who, you know, Vivek is also involved in this now. He's with Strive. But Vivek and I went into it together. We're, we're, we're pretty good friends. And we just, we weren't on the panel, but we are just watching. And, uh, and the room was packed. Uh, there was 140 room occupancy. I think they had 180 people in there and they were turning people away. They'd make, it, you know, they'd, had to, they, they'd have to watch a recording or watch it from a different room. So it, it's really picked up. Uh, we, it, we've obviously been successful in getting the word out. And I think that's been tremendous. Heritage Foundation has been great on this. Uh, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has been great on this. There, there, are some, there are some think tanks that have really gotten the word out and deserve a lot of credit. I'm not, I'm, I'm probably I giving myself of, too much credit here.
0: No, no. I mean, you were, you were in the first wave of people that were ringing the alarm bell about this, and rightly so, because this isn't something that we can look to Europe and say, Europe is doing this. We're two steps behind. If we don't course correct. This is going to be here. This is already here. ESG yes. is already in the institutions, whether it's universities, whether it's even lower level schools, whether it's workplaces. This is this is already here in our banking institutions. So I want your definition of ESG because I think that that has been a key part of awareness about what this is, and it's certainly a key part of fighting back. How would you define ESG just in in an elevator pitch form?
1: I want to say first of all, you're you're you're, you're right. What you just said about ESG and being being it permeates everything, and it's here now but you almost have to respect the left for this. This is, <laughs> this is so insidious and so broad-based, and it was so under the radar that you really have to respect them. I would say it, the simplest one-sentence definition would be that ESG investing is an investment philosophy where you invest to promote leftist political goals rather to, than to enhance returns for investors. So traditionally you would think you invested your money, you gave them to an investment advisor, you gave them to a financial advisor, and you would think they're investing your money to make returns for you. So you could retire, You know, maybe you can buy a house for yourself or your kids, you you want returns on your assets. Uh, what, what, what isn't known is that that's not what they're doing. They're out there trying to use those funds and the shares they buy with those funds, the voting rights they get from owning those shares, to advance these leftist political issues. And so it's important for conservatives in particular, but I think really everybody should revolt against this, but particularly conservatives to understand you can't invest like you used to because a group of misguided elites are advancing a neo-Marxist form of investing, this ESG investing, and they've overtaken the financial institutions that we all used to trust. To invest our assets as prudent investors, not as political activists. You know, certainly not as uh, you know liberal crusaders. It, this is socialism in sheep's clothing. It, it's it's a way to empower elites to implement their policies with, without complying with the the uh, the tenets of our democracy, our economic freedom, or our individual liberty.
0: So it could sort of be understood as a social credit score. We maybe understand what that means because China does that for individual citizens where they keep a tally of your behavior and whether your behavior matches what they envision for you as a communist minion, you get upgraded or downgraded accordingly. But this ESG is a social credit score for businesses.
1: Yeah, you don't even have to envision it, that's it. And in fact, it's not just businesses. They're now, the the S&P, and uh, it came out and said, that they were going to use S and P criteria to rate states on their bonds, to rate states for the lending, and and Marlo Oaks is the treasurer of Utah. He, well, there are some real heroes in this. Marlo Oaks in Utah is one. Um, the uh, the treasurer for the state of West Virginia, you know, who who attended mm-hmm. uh, attended the event, is another. I mean, there are some real heroes out there on this issue. Uh, and they, but, but Marla wrote a letter to the S&P, you got Mitt Romney and Mike Lee and every really top elected official in Utah to sign on to it. There's also an article out there about, um, about ESG ratings for individuals. And maybe you can't get as good a rate on your insurance because you, your ESG score doesn't comply with the insurance company's requirements. Merrill Lynch actually provides its investors with an ESG score. You know, maybe you can't get the loan you want. Maybe your kids can't borrow the money they want. And there's an article uh, I, that it's available online about individual ESG scores, which just Google that and this article will come up, where they say things that, are, that, that they will consider not in, how many people are, are in your car when you drive, like what kind of car do you own, uh, what political candidates do you support, right? What charities do you contribute to? So you could be paying a price for being a conservative Republican uh, going forward if we don't stop this ESG threat. This is very serious.
0: In Australia right now, there's a banking institution, I just read about this, that's denying loans to people for gas-powered vehicles.
1: Yes. yeah, th- This is where we're headed. And it, it won't just be, it. Won't, they won't just limit the climate. The left is, they have found a new way to empower elites to run our lives. That's what socialism is, right? It's we, in, a, in a free market economy, you and I, we, we vote with every dollar we spend on what companies succeed and fail and what direction the economy will take. You know, if we like uh, Apple, we don't like BlackBerry anymore. You're probably too young to remember BlackBerry. <laughs> <laughs> I there, didn't have one, I gotta there,
0: tell you. There used
1: to be very popular phones called Blackberries, and, and obviously the smartphones and Steve Jobs just wiped them out. But we make those decisions. No, but you could see elites making the decision. Well, these blackberries are pretty cool. This is what I've used all my life. We're just going to make blackberries available. This is why elites running the economy is a terrible idea. This Adam Smith, uh, you know, if you've ever read The Wealth of Nations, and I'm sure you have, talks about the invisible hand. The invisible hand is all of us deciding the direction of of the economy with every dollar we spend. That's the way to run an economy. This elitist thing is not the way to run it. We've been able to resist them in a political sense. We've held them at bay. We fought them off. So they figured another way to do it. It's called ESG investing.
0: It is. I mean, it's I echo what you said before. You almost, it's very clever. Very
1: clever. It's very
0: sneaky. It's very, it's the definition of a conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory of an actual conspiracy. My part of the panel, I talked about DEI and how the E is for environmental, the S is for social, the G is for governance and ESG. But the S part is essentially DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion, which might sound neutral, might even have a positive connotation. But as the left defines them, diversity is essentially racism. It's picking and choosing people for positions based on the color of their skin or denying other people positions based on the color of their skin. Equity is not equality. Equity is generally a very bad thing. It's tokenism. And inclusion is religious persecution. It's, It's And there's no way to eradicate that from the corporate boardroom, from workplaces, from universities, unless we topple ESG. I think that's maybe the second part of the fight against ESG is to help people understand not just that ESG exists, not just that it's here, not just what the definition is, but how it impacts every person in their day-to-day life.
1: Yes. And critical race theory is the same way. It sounds real nice, but it's not critical of race theory at all. It's enforcing race theory. You know, I mean, these are these are acronyms. Or ESG, environmental, social, and governance. How bad could that be? You know, but these are all intended. They're all a ruse. You know, to hide from us that these are rejections of our founding principles and our Judeo-Christian values. And uh, they like you said, it's, my favorite word to describe them is insidious. This is just insidious, and it, it's it's uh, it's a terrible, terrible thing for the American people and for our freedoms, our liberties, and our democracy.
0: So the spiciest part of our panel was at the very end during the question and answer, which is always the most fun part, when there was a little bit of a debate on what the role of a corporation is in the United States. Should a corporation advocate for values? Should they advocate for the values that the people already hold? Should they advocate for the values that they think are correct? Or should there, or should corporations be politically, socially, and morally neutral? Be I I don't want to replay the panel. And so I want people first tell me your answer, and then I want to hear. Um, your response to some of the other panelists what what role should corporations serve?
1: Well, a corporation's primary objective should be generating returns for its investors after complying with the appropriate laws and the norms of society. now that that's not me, that's milton Friedman. Uh, so I, I don't want to take credit for what what he said and uh, and that that, it, that would include donating to charities, you know in the course of what you're doing because uh, as long as you, for example, let's take Nike, for example, Nike came out with an ad using Colin Kaepernick, no. which a lot of conservatives objected to. I, I stopped buying Nike products. Like I said, you vote so with every me. dollar you spent. So, but, but really it was a very successful ad for Nike. I don't have any objection to their having done that because I may, I voted, I voted against that ad and they made money with it anyway. Uh, now, whether that'll be the case long term or not, we're gonna have to wait and see, because they obviously offended a portion of the buying public, but it wasn't their target market. To their target market, this was very appealing. That's not woke capitalism. That's just regular old capitalism. Yeah. That that's that means you know you're just doing something that generates profits. And in fact, when the CEO of Nike came out and announced the results for the court, he didn't come out and say, you know, we use this Colin Kaepernick ad and, you know, we're really good guys. Yeah, we're really doing this DEI stuff, but, uh, but you know, we're losing money. Your shares are going to be worth less and, uh, you know, I feel bad for you. No, if he did that, he'd been fired. What he came out and said was, yeah, we did this. Yeah, we made more money. It reached our, it reached our demographic. It was good. So Starbucks, Patagonia, you know, Nike, they're not going to do ads that are going to appeal to me because I'm not in their target market.
0: Let I me mean, interject for a second. The Colin Kaepernick thing wasn't ESG. It wasn't a, a pressure from an ESG force from It was an, it was woke. It was woke, and there yeah. there's a difference. Though. Well,
1: that that and that that's kind of my point. So, so I don't have an objection to a corporation taking a position on an issue. And like, uh, it, I was going to say, the other side of this would be Chick Fil A and In n Out used to be competitors of mine. Uh, although good companies are good friends. Uh, but you know they they emphasize their religious values and uh, and th- so they're appealing to a different demographic than Starbucks, right? They're they're appealing to somebody else. So you're going to get that. The question is, are they being forced to do something that makes them less profitable by the people who are supposed to be focused on investing your money in profitable companies? For example, Exxon. Uh, this is very a very famous incident where a little hedge fund bought a few shares of Exxon. Turns out the founder of that hedge fund, used to work at BlackRock. And he wanted to put some environmentalists on Exxon's board. So he got together with Larry Fink and the guys at Vanguard, the other one of the other big investment funds, and they voted with him to put these environmentalists on Exxon's board. Now Exxon's management advised voting against them. Exxon's management didn't want environmentalists on the board because they're in the oil business. <laughs> It's like when I ran Carl Jr. and Hardee's, I didn't want PETA on our board (laughs) because I was running a hamburger company, right? But so they put these environmentalists on Exxon's board. Now, Exxon's been selling oil fields. And by the way, who buys them? The Chinese. Uh, They've been walking away from leases. They're focused on trying to get to net carbon neutrality, which I don't think really is the goal of an oil company, although I don't mind if they do it, but I don't think it's going to increase their profits at all. Uh, So they were compelled to do something, not because they were appealing to their target market, not because they were doing what they thought they should do. They were compelled to do something because these large financial firms are extremely powerful and they're using ESG investing to shove liberal policies down the throats of American companies. And I think that's wrong.
0: That is wrong. That's very different. That's an important distinction. And I think as a lot of these distinctions, it takes nuance to understand the difference between a corporation pushing a value or taking a stance on it on a political issue versus being forced to do so. I think that one area of our country that we've lost sight of a little bit is that corporations aren't necessarily supposed to be neutral, but they are supposed to operate in a free market where monopolies are not possible so that yes. if consumers don't like the position that a corporation has taken, then they have the opportunity to either enter the market with a competitive product or to buy an existing competitive product. I don't think that our elected officials have done a good job enforcing antitrust
1: laws. Well, you just have to look what happened during the election when was it Parler was the yeah. competitor of Twitter that started to rise up and all of a sudden they got Amazon cut them off from the uh from their whatever the data banks the that they service. had to use. Yeah, the web service, they cut them off. So they they were sliced out and destroyed. Because they weren't consistent with the goals of Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh, so I, I do think that we have um, we have very very serious antitrust problems in this country, which I do hope. And I, I'm not I'm not am not a big antitrust guy supporter, but I, I do see that we're having very serious problems in this country with respect to these uh, these these corporations where you don't have an alternative. I mean, I'm on Twitter. I, I I'm on Twitter because I want to reach Democrats. You know, and that, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You just know, you <laughs> say
0: one conservative thing and you'll get a pile on and that's you'll have exact, conversations with a whole bunch. <laughs> but you might
1: reach like one reasonable person, yeah. right? And, and, and so that's worth it to try and do that. But we've got these other, you know, was it Truth? Is that, uh, is that President Trump's. Trump's? And then Getter, I think that's Jason. Um, so so I, 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 it's, it's important, but they're so small. They really don't compete. You know, you, I mean, Instagram, I mean, TikTok, I guess competes now, but that's Chinese. You know, so you got Instagram, and even Facebook, social, To
0: my knowledge, the latest reports were that Google, the Google Play Store wasn't allowing Trump's app yeah, to that, be accessed by Android phones. That
1: wouldn't surprise me at all. But w- we need to keep American businesses focused on the profit motive. That is that notion kind of unique to free market capitalism that you can improve your life through your own efforts. And it's millions of people trying to improve their lives and having the opportunity to do so that produces this incredible economy that we have in the United States. And, and really profit isn't a bad word. If you, if you look at our free market economy in the United States, the only way you make a profit is by meeting the needs of other people. You have to produce a product or a service they want at a price they can afford. Well, if, you, if everybody's out there trying to come up with products and services that other people want at a price they can afford, that generates incredible energy and causes, causes you, if you want to improve your life, it pushes your focus outwards to other people. So you're, it's really more altruistic than it is greedy. So you really, if when we take, when we reorient modern corporations, so they're not focused on profit, they're not focused on reaching out to others and providing the services people want. When we reorient corporations so that now they're focused on accomplishing liberal political objectives, then we we risk destroying that entire system, which Barack Obama described as the greatest economic system in history, and it's created more wealth than any system in history and has lifted billions of people out of poverty. You know, if he's admitting that, it's you know, you know, there's, I would say, I don't agree with uh, President Obama much, but I don't think he's a stupid guy. I think he's a very smart guy. And for him to come out and say that, I think was very significant. Why would you put that at risk? Like what sense does it make to put a system that's lifted more people out of poverty and created more prosperity and abundance? than any economic system ever devised and risk it, you know, to accomplish these leftist political goals.
0: So we can sit here and we can talk about how awful this ideology is, how it's poisoned, it's infiltrated our institutions. It's here. It's not something that's in the future. We're facing it. The million dollar question is, how do we stop it?
1: Well, I've thought about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I'm asking you.
1: (laughs) And I have a couple of solutions. One is uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, Justin Danhoff have a company called Strive. And uh, I'm involved with, um, with Diane Black and, and Dr. Black. Uh, Diane was the head of the House Budget Committee that got the Trump tax cuts through in, uh, in a company in Nashville called Second Vote Advisors, where we offer products that, that they're not anti-ESG, but they're products designed to defeat ESG. In other words, they're not, we're not trying to advance conservative values versus them advancing liberal values. We're trying to get American companies back to where they should be, which is focused on uh, generating returns for their investors. And Strive has uh, as an ETF. I think they're coming out with another one. I think it's Drill. I can't remember the the call numbers for it. Uh, we've got a couple of ETFs. Uh, one is Pro Life. One is uh, 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 Pro Civil Safe Society. It's LYFE, which excludes any companies that uh, invest in abortion. And then we have a company called Aegis, E-G-I-S. It's an ETF you can purchase easily. Uh, It's publicly traded and it will exclude companies that support defunding the police or open borders or doing extensive business with China. But we have a particularly interesting product called Shareholders First, which only invests in companies that aren't political. Uh, We have a a scoring system we license that rates companies one is liberal, two is liens liberal, three is neutral four is leans conservative, and five is conservative. They do a very in-depth audit on the entire S&P 1500. And our our shareholders' first product only invests in companies that are rated a three because we believe that companies focused on profits will be more profitable than companies that aren't. (laughs) Really? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And, and, you know, people always... uh, they always stare at me like in our when I said that in our our panel today they kind of looked up at me like I was going to say something else but that's kind of it you know I used to run a large publicly traded company and it's hard enough to make a profit when you focus on it let alone when you're trying to change the world pursuant to these leftist agenda items so second vote and strive are two companies that are uh, where you can invest and not worry about uh, about uh, with strive you they won't vote the products in favor of ESG issues. They they invest in the same products as BlackRock, but they vote differently. In ours, we don't include the products that pe- that conservatives would find offensive. The other thing is, I, I drafted out some legislation about a year and a half ago when I figured out what was going on uh, that makes it clear that ESG investing is inconsistent with fiduciary duties that financial firms owe to their investors. Uh, there are already laws in most states and 19 attorney generals just sent a letter to BlackRock saying you're, what you're doing violates the fiduciary duties of our state. But BlackRock, you know, BlackRock's got more money than more money than God. I mean, they're gonna hire every lawyer they can to argue against that. So I drafted a legislation that just says ESG investing is inconsistent with fiduciary duties. You know, so- Can't
0: misunderstand that. End <laughs> argument. Uh,
1: and it also, if a state passed that, they would also take back the proxy voting authority from the firms that invest state monies. So they couldn't vote them anymore. And if you hire a proxy advisory firm to advise you as to how to vote, that firm has to agree to uh, to abide by the fiduciary duty provisions of the law. So they can't be running off on some ESG spending spree. Uh, The Heritage Foundation and ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, both have model legislation based on that bill uh, we all work together. And this but, is a
0: state. This is state by state yeah, legislation. It's
1: state by state legislation because at the federal level, we reach until twenty twenty four. We really can't do anything. Nothing's, you know, Biden's not going to pass anything like this. His the administrative state under Biden, the SEC and the Department of Labor are doing everything they can to advance ESG investing because a lot of them used to work for BlackRock. I mean, it's a really interesting uh, marriage of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of BlackRock and, and the Biden administration. But this is state level legislation and a number of states are considering it for next year. And we've got model legislation out there to make it easy for them to do so.
0: And I always one of the things that I do on this show. And by the way, anybody who wants exclusive early access to interviews just like this fabulous interview, you can join us. Liz dot com slash locals. And you'll be able to see this before everyone else. So where do I go? Liz Wheelershow.com slash logos. Thank you. You're <laughs> Thank welcome. you for that. But <laughs> well, one of the things we like to do on this show is not just talk about it, not just listen, it's deputize, deputize each other to help with this problem to, you know, we talk about what, what a powerful voice, even emails and phone calls are to yes. the offices of elected officials. So is there a place where individuals watching this right now, listening to this right now can go access your legislation and send it? their state legislatures to say, listen, I'm your constituent. This is what we want for the state.
1: Yeah. Just go to ALEC, uh, the ALEC, uh, put in ALAC in Google and then uh, state fiduciary duty bill, and then go to Heritage and put in state fiduciary duty bill. And those bills will pop up, whichever one you want, uh, Heritage or ALEC.
0: And we'll try to add, we'll try to add links underneath this episode to those.
1: And and encourage uh, your state treasurer in particular uh, to pursue this legislation. Not, if you live in one of the red states, it, it m- most of those treasurers don't need encouragement. They're all sort of on board with doing something about this, but it does give them, they can at least go out and say they have support. They've heard from their constituents and their support for moving forward with this kind of legislation. And if you do that, it's a big help to them. Uh, so I do that, whatever, whatever. And if you know the governor, you know send it to the governor. Uh, but the state treasurers, I think, will drive this. They have been. The State Financial Officers Foundation, uh, in particular, has been instrumental. Derek Kryffles runs it; they've been instrumental in in pushing this issue. I'm in their advisory board. I've spoken on this at their meetings three or four times, and the state uh, the state treasurers are very interested in doing something. Okay, so, so we'll, as I said, Riley Moore, the West Riley Virginia, Moore, yes, he was he, he, he the West Virginia treasurer who stood up the BlackRock. And said, so we're not doing business with you anymore. Great guy. Very courageous man.
0: Very courageous. And we're going to have an episode with him. Good. Um, we're filming with him after we film with you. So uh, this is just the beginning of a series on how we can all be empowered to take on ESG. Thank you for taking leadership on this issue. It's I've been fascinated sitting here listening. I really, really appreciate when there's concrete actions that can be taken. And you've done a great job. Thanks. No, thanks, thanks for being on the show my today. My pleasure.
1: And uh, my wife says I can't help myself, so I don't know how much credit I deserve. <laughs> But uh, she said if I stop it, I, she wants a divorce, I'll drive her nuts. So <laughs>
0: well, um, on behalf of the American people, we thank her for the motivation for you keeping <laughs> working because um, clearly you're being effective. Thank you all for watching this special episode of the Liz Wheeler show. I'm Liz Wheeler. Go to slash locals and uh, join us over there for a continued conversation on this topic.